from John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrapping lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they yet did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping at outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know who it was, that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to God. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's a time of uh, greeting one another and being, uh, having that one other time to be recaffeinated for this morning. Recently at a monthly gathering with a couple of friends, the conversation shifted, as it often does, to books. What we were reading, these are people whose book selections are always eclectic. Books on theology and spirituality to novels, both edifying and entertaining. One person said she had taken recently to reading suspense novels, books of mystery and crime and intrigue. And then she said, but I always read the end first. 
As my eyebrows shot up in surprise, she clarified, because I just have to know who is still alive. I just have to know who is still alive. Today, our scripture is familiar to most of us, those of us who have grown up coming to Easter service, sunrise or otherwise, know the story, a story that could be seen as looking ahead to see who is still alive. Jesus, having been tried and crucified for following God's call on his life, was dead and had been laid in the tomb. His friends and followers are walking through their lives in the grief that comes with death, and not only death, but death that comes from violence. The women came to the tomb to do the work that has probably always been theirs to do, to prepare the body for burial, and to set the wheels of sorrow in motion for as long as it takes. They also likely had uh, also been preparing food for afterwards as well. And yet, when they arrive, they find that the body of Jesus is not in the tomb. The tomb is empty, and the one they loved is not there. What they had expected to happen was challenged. And as the story unfolds, these women who had come to do something they may have done countless other times, find themselves confronted with learning what it means to discover who is still alive. This is a story that can be perplexing and confusing to our 21st century minds. And so this invitation this morning is not to look for facts, but for truth. As we have been following along with Marcus Borg in his book, Speaking Christian, he has this to say about this scripture and the story we lift once again on this Easter morning. What did it mean for Jesus' followers in the first century to say that God raised Jesus from the dead? Believe whatever you want about whether the tomb was really empty, whether you are convinced it was, or uncertain, or skeptical. What did Easter mean to the early followers? The answer to the question of meaning is clear. In the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, there is a clear message that Jesus lives. Jesus lives in the way in which his life so fully impacted those with whom he walked his early day, earthly days that their story has given birth to ours. Jesus lives in the ways in which more than 2,000 years later, we continue to grapple with its meaning and to seek to live our lives after his example. Jesus lives in the ways we continue to encounter how life comes out of the depths of despair and those places that seem as if they have no life left in them. Jesus lives in those moments when we think all is lost and then something changes and turns our faces and our very lives toward what is still possible what is still alive. 
Have you had an experience in your life where everything seemed dead and without hope? Have you been witness to the experiences of others who are only expecting to find despair and hopelessness, only to be challenged to see those experiences in new ways that are full of life, full of surprise? As we come to this Easter morning, we know that the wisdom of the earth is toward life, toward the, the rebirthing of green, of plant and flower. And yet, if we were to write the story of this particular Easter morning, the visibility of that life is scarce. Not so much green out there. It seems an April fool of an Easter image. Sometimes on Easter, we have sung the Hymn of Promise by Natalie Sleaf. In the bulb, there is a flower, in the seed, an apple tree, in, in cocoons, a hidden promise. Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. Truly, on this Easter morning, the life that is incubating in bulb and seed somewhere in the darkness of the frozen earth is indeed something only God can see. And yet we know and trust that the greening of spring and the return of warm days will soon be one more sign of the God who brings life out of what appears to be dead. Just as we share in the warming sun that will rise higher in today's Easter morning, so too spring will arrive and we will have the promise of life fulfilled once again. Trust me on this. We began this season of Lent on Ash Wednesday, which also happened to be February 14th, Valentine's Day, a day dedicated to love. But now, that particular day has taken on new meaning. New meaning as the day that Nicholas Cruz walked into a Parkland, Florida high school and killed 17 people. As a nation, we had had this experience before, and our hopelessness and despair seemed almost more than we could bear. We came to the tomb of this devastating act ready once again to bury the dead and deal with the grief of a nation whose love affair with guns threatens to undo us. And those young people and teachers are mourned, have been mourned, and were buried. And grief still moves in the lives of those families and friends and school and us as a nation. And yet, we have come to know the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School as those whose challenge to despair gave birth to the march for our lives. Their challenging call to the adults of this nation to be the grown-ups in the rooms of our schools, our churches, our capitals, our nation, is both inspiration and demand to protect and honor the preciousness of life, the sacredness of our living.
How fitting that as we enter this season of Easter, we stand with these young people as we celebrate the resurrection, death being overcome by the urge to still be alive as we urge our lawmakers to vote for laws that curb gun violence and say not one more. Their gift to us has been to take the anger and pain of senseless violence and bring life out of it. As those of us who marched with and for these young people who are emboldened and full of passion to make the world a better and safer place for everyone, we heard the refrain, we often speak on Easter, death will not have the last word. But I always read the end first because I want, have to know who is still alive, said my friend. One year ago today, Jada Green, who danced so beautifully today to bless our space and usher in the gift of this Easter morning, was in a terrible car accident. Those of us who visited her and observed her in the early hours of the days that followed wondered what her future would hold. Surgeries and rehabilitation followed, and still we wondered how Jada would emerge from the devastating experience. Prayers were showered over her, and love from family and friends became the cocoon in which she rested and healed and made her way toward wholeness, toward fullness of life once again. In the midst of all this, it was my observation that Jada's kindness and presence to those who cared for her became a reciprocal act of offering life. The caregivers that are often dismissed and ignored in rehab facilities were offered humanity in her smile, in her knowing their names, and by always offering her gratitude for the simplest acts they had done. It was my experience that Jada held out life to those who cared for her as much as they helped her mend her own life. And today we've been blessed by her dance and her celebration of the gifts God has so deeply placed within her, speaking to the truth of her incredible aliveness. To be human is to always be pulled toward life. After being witness to Jesus, hearing the familiarity of his voice, Mary Magdalene and the women went on to proclaim the living Christ. They told the story to the men, and the story kept on being told and retold as the early followers began to form themselves into a community that kept the work and the spirit of Jesus alive wherever they went. And their community grew and grew as the news of this aliveness of this one they had loved passed from person to person, which brings us to this moment. A moment in which we have the challenge and the privilege to once again claim that spirit of aliveness that is God's presence in us, as it was God's presence in Jesus. 
our story begins and continues with noticing who is still alive today in our time. This is the call of Easter in each of us. How will we be alive, truly alive, this day and every day? A poem by singer Carrie Newcomer offers this affirmation that reminds us of the urgency of what it means to answer the call to this aliveness. You, you are holy and sacred and utterly unique. There are gifts you were born to give, songs you were born to sing, stories you were born to tell, and if you do not give it, the world will simply lose it. It is yours alone to offer. No one can give it for you. And dearest, listen, because this is important. This wounded world needs all the songs we can pull from the air. Every story that helps us to remember. It needs every single gift, large and small. And yes, dearest, this grateful world does rejoice every courageous time we are true to ourselves and to our gifts. And so it is, dear heart. We embrace the song and the story and all our gifts because the world has such great need and because the world exceedingly rejoices and because there is no sadder thing than to leave this world having never really shown up. Easter, Easter is a showing up time. Easter is the day we once again say yes. Yes to sharing our gifts. Yes to singing our songs and dancing our dance. Yes to hope. Yes to the promise of change. Yes to following in the way of Jesus. Yes to justice. Yes to peace. Yes, to the life in all of its messiness, its beauty, its terror, its amazement, its gifts of alleluia moments. Yes, Christ is alive. We are still alive. Alleluia. <laughs>